Geek Top 5, Season 5. I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> this is so exciting. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we are back. It is our second episode post-quarantine. Just digging, living life again. Almost. Things are still a little tricky in Toronto, but it's but it's getting better real fast. It's doing good. It's it's partly it's that new theme song. It's got lots of, so much energy, and uh, and it's actually not terribly appropriate because we're actually doing kind of a chill episode today. <laughs> so I'm having a bit of emotional well, whiplash over here. But here here's something I can tell you. This is uh, this is the first time you're going to hear this. We're doing it live on mic as a part of the relaxing of the quarantine. I actually got a haircut. Whoa! Oh, yeah. folks at home, you have no idea. My buddy here, Rapunzel Beckstead, <laughs> it, uh, I mean, like, he could fashion his own chair out of this thing. That's gotta be, oh, man, after, we gotta do a video after this, man, you gotta show me. That's, wow. Yeah, yeah. it, uh, was, did it on Canada Day, uh, debuted it at the Stormcrow Tav, or Stormcrow Manor the next night, and, uh, and I've been, I've been just sitting on it since then. Man, wow. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Um, in any case, though, speaking of opening up, we wanted to... Uh, so we started our quarantine edition by saying, you know, hey, we've been trying to find things to keep, it, to keep us busy. And we figured, you know, maybe we should try and end it the same way. It's, uh, I mean, like I said, things are still just a tad locked down for a little bit longer. Uh, but we thought we'd take the chance to compare notes and see what sort of has been keeping us, you know, keeping us geeks busy. Uh, on the off chance there, uh, there's still time left for you as well. Maybe some recommendations for you at home, stuff to keep track of. And if not, maybe, heck, maybe things to sort of carry you into the new life, the new era, the new order. Is there any way to do new order without sounding like a bad guy? Uh, you could try and say it like you're at a restaurant and you're trying to get a different dish. Oh, yeah, I'd like a new order, please. Yeah, yeah. yeah there we go. Much yeah, better. As opposed to the new order will not... Yeah, okay. <laughs> the power to record a podcast is insignificant compared to the power... Yeah, okay. I don't think I'm actually allowed to say force. Like, like the, the mouse will be on her. Anyway, I'm prevaricating. Let's do the list. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to do our dueling list format and, and uh, see what has been keeping us busy. Uh, do you want to go first? Sure, sure. All right. I put together five things that have been keeping me busy that I can recommend. And uh, folks who listen to the podcast will not be surprised to know that they're all video games. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> prepare for that. Um, number five on my list that I wanted to talk about here today is MechWarrior 5 Heroes of the Inner Sphere. And this is, so like, this is a bit of a personal thing for me. Um, I'm a huge Battletech junkie, and the MechWarrior games are sort of the, the sim video game franchise takes place in the Battletech universe. We, uh, we may have spent uh, an hour or more on the topic uh, earlier in the pandemic. Just drooling over it, yeah. <laughs> MechWarrior 5 originally came out in December of 2019, and uh, it, uh, it wasn't very good. And you got to filter that through your lens of expectations, right? Like, this is coming from a super fan. Like, you know, I've got Mech Warrior the t-shirt. I've got Mech Warrior the wall art. I've got Mech Warrior the figures. Mech, like, I got, I got a lot of stuff. And even through all that bias, not a great game. 
Um, it was unfinished. It was unpolished. Lots of things didn't work. Lots of features weren't enabled. It was rough. Um, it was also an exclusive to the Epic Game Store, which is a, a trend that seems to be dying out, fortunately. But the idea of that you only sell it in one place and we'll pay you a billion bucks to keep that exclusive. Epic Games is the, the, the studio behind Fortnite, which you've probably heard of. And they have a lot of money to throw around to do this kind of thing. Very controversial. So so it's was Steam the first digital-only platform, and now Epic is, like, a competitor? Steam's the, is the, is the, like, there were probably little attempts before Steam. Steam is the major one. If you have, if you game on your PC, chances are you buy your games using Steam, which is the client that basically everybody puts their digital games up for sale. Um, it's light, it's easy to use, it's comfortable, it's a unified environment. It's, like, it's a monopoly, but they haven't gotten corrupt yet. Knock on wood. Really. <laughs> Just, really. <laughs> Yeah, Epic Games was a competitor, and they offer none of the same features, but they have a bunch of money to go to developers and say, no, 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 let us keep your game exclusively for a while. Please, please, we're begging you. Hasn't worked out so great for them. Anyway, time passed. MechWarrior 5, probably not one of the best deals that Epic ever made. Um, since then, the developer got bought out by a, either, either the publisher or even further up, and they sort of did a bit of a rehash, and they basically did a soft relaunch for this game. Um, if you're looking for it, it's still called MechWarrior 5 Mercenaries, like it was back in 2019, but the Heroes of the Inner Sphere DLC, the extra content, has pretty much taken it over. And uh, anyway, so that came out. Now the game's out on Steam, and it's out on the new Xbox services, which is fun. So if you don't have a high-end gaming PC, but you have an Xbox Series S or X or an Xbox One, um, as of May 2021, you can play it there. And uh, I was dubious, but at the end of the day, I picked it up because I am a sucker for Battletech. <laughs> So is it is there an additional cost with it or is it is it just a free bonus content? If you've already bought the game, it is I think it's a fifteen dollar additional cost, um, but it's still a flat forty something dollars if you're buying it new. And you know what? That's where I'm getting to. Major game video games these days tend to cap out at about eighty dollars, right? Or or a hundred dollars if you buy in the super fancy digital edition that comes with the exclusive skins and like a maquette, you know, of the main character's right. hand or something. Um, this is a forty dollar game, and you know what? For a forty dollar game with the corrections they've added and the new features they've added, it's actually really good. It's not everything I want, but I am having a lot of fun with it, and I have put in a lot of time. So can you uh, tell me a bit about what they added in the Inner Sphere thing? Like, is it a whole new story? Like, what justifies this $15 additional cost? Yeah. So there are a number of fixes and corrections to the game. And we're talking major features. Um, some things. So in this universe, this is a universe where everyone's driving big robots, big walking tanks. Um a lot of the the lighter of these tanks have jump jets, which you know, have been like it's it's a fundamental part of the the universe that some of the lighter, faster mechs can like, use these rocket packs to jump. Right, jump jets present in the original release of Mech Warrior Five, but the AI didn't know how to use them. That seems like an important thing to have taught them. Yeah, 
Yeah, right? Imagine, you know, a Star Wars game where the X-Wings just, the AI didn't really know how to turn on the shields. Like, it's a fundamental part that they just, they just didn't get to it before the game was released. Lots of fixes like that. Um, a weird decision they made was with the mech's radar, was that the radar only functioned if you had line of sight. As in, like, if you were looking at a target, it would show up on your radar. Um, if it went to your left, it would disappear off your radar until you turned to look at it again. Which begs the question, why do you have a radar? Yeah, yeah, it seems to defeat the entire purpose of radar. Yeah, that's been fixed. Now it's a 360 degree radar like, you know, we had in, what, 1950, I think? (laughs) No, not even. I'm sorry. They were developing radar technology during the Second World War. So mid 1940s. Um, we finally caught up to that. Almost 100 years. Wow. So lots of little fixes like that. And then sort of what you expect, lots of new mech designs, lots of new weapons, and lots of mini sort of storylines, lots of sort of mini campaigns, four or five mission stories with characters and voices and acting and like unique mission design and circumstances. Here's another thing. And I don't want to focus too much because we've got nine other things to talk about here today. But MechWarrior 5 used procedurally generated missions, which is a... It can be a blessing or a curse, but it's more and more common in video games these days where they don't, you know, artisanally craft for you something to do. It just says, okay, I'll just, you know, I'll generate some terrain and generate an approximate number of enemies that look like I'll threaten the player and go. And the end result of that being is that everything feels kind of samey. Right. Yeah. It, well, they Yeah, exactly. Repetitive, monotonous. Well, all these mini campaigns, so far I've done four or five, and each one ends with a perfectly unique, like, oh, here's something you haven't done in the game before. Here's hmm. a different way you have to play or a different thing you have to arrange. And that's, like, I'm really looking forward to it. So, in any case... It, Bringing this back, so in terms of geeky things that have been keeping us busy lately, this has sort of been like a redemption arc for MechWarrior 5. The MechWarrior 5 Heroes of the Inner Sphere content, uh, it, it makes it a pretty good game, and it is a relief to me, because like they took something I loved, and they they, they really... I can't think of a non-vulgar expression <laughs> that describes it, but like they, they did a they, piss-poor job. They didn't put it out in its its formal wear. They just sent it out in like jeans and a t shirt and thought that would be enough. Yeah, yeah. They they sent it to a wedding in flip flops. But uh, <laughs> since then, they took it back. They gave it a haircut. They you know like scrubbed it down a little bit. Shiny new coat of paint. It's out there. Uh, Mech Warrior Five the heroes. Well, Mech Warrior Five mercenaries. But I think packed in with heroes of the inner sphere. Available again on Steam and on the latest Xbox consoles for like forty bucks. Uh, it's a pretty good deal. I mean, if you're into Battletech, absolutely check it out. It's come a long way. Uh, so you know, And if you're just you know, into lasers and explosions and robots, worth taking a look. I, I just want to say quickly, I am getting a little annoyed with games that get released in an incomplete status. And, and people pay full price for them. And then two years down the line, the game is actually up and running the way it's supposed to be. They keep working on it, they patch it, they fix it, and now the prices drop significantly. So so you new players can get on board for a much lower price, and the people who paid the big bucks for it have probably already moved on or were so disappointed that they they, they passed on it at, at the original release. And I mean, I, mean, I warned you not to buy No Man's Sky. 
<laughs> well, how did you? <laughs> that's look, I, I really wanted to like it. I really, I paid eighty dollars for it. I was in Ottawa. <laughs> it was the release weekend. I was like, I'm so excited for this, and I got it, and I played it, and it was kind of boring. And now all I hear is how great it's become since then, and I see it on Steam sales and whatever for like fifteen dollars or something. And I, I don't. I'm glad that they fixed it, but I feel like. If you're going to keep doing this, all you're doing is creating an audience that's like, I'm not going to get the game on release. I'll just wait till they fix it and I can get the finished game in two years time at a steep discount. I mean, you're not wrong. MechWarrior 5 initially did not sell well. Right. It's, yeah, we're all tired of this kind of crap being allowed. It's the only industry where you can get away with it. Um, and it's been building up to a crisis point for a while, for sure. But, I mean, in this case, like, I'm going to take at least they fixed it over. It was just a crappy game, and then they moved on because there are a lot of those, too. That's fair. All right, let's move on. What's, uh, we got a lot to talk about today. I could talk about MechWarrior and Battletech <laughs> forever, but you probably want to talk on this podcast, too. Uh, what's your number five? So my number five is a book series that started in 1997, and uh, it's well-trod territory for us, or at least the the uh, anchor point, the franchise, Star Trek New Frontier. Uh-huh. This, yeah. This was a novel series that was started, I think there was an editor at, at the, the company that releases the Star Trek books who was sort of tired of what they were doing with the established franchises, or rather, how little they could do with the established franchises. In 1997, uh, Next Generation was still pumping out movies. Voyager and Deep Space Nine were were uh, in their still kind of early days, although Deep Space Nine was getting to the middle of its run, and uh, Voyager was actually pretty well established by that point, now that I think about it. So, so what you could do in the novels, like you put out a Next Generation book, everything's kind of got to be status quo. You can't do any big things, and by the end of it, everything has to return to normal. So they've always felt kind of hollow. I, I never really got into a lot of the Star Trek books because it just felt like this isn't what I, this isn't the show. It's something else and it doesn't really count. So yeah, I always, it, it felt like sort of like a bad, it felt like someone writing an idea for an episode that wasn't good enough to get made. Right. So this, this editor put together an idea and pitched it to Peter David, who is an excellent, he writes comic books, he writes novels, he, he's already written at this point a lot of Star Trek novels, and uh, is like, let's, let's try to put together something new, a new pocket of the Star Trek universe where we can do our own thing with it, and we don't have to worry about tying into the rest of the continuity. And Peter David jumped on this, and it, it ended up lasting 25 books. The series ran from 1997 to 2015. There were some comic book tie-ins, and I I have always been curious about it. And I think actually you gave me a, a four-pack hardcover of the first four novels, so I read them as a kid and I really liked them, but didn't continue. And now my plan is to continue. So far, I've just read those first four again, but I've got the next two, and I'm I'm really enjoying the universe. Really? See, that was going to be my big question. Like, I, I didn't know how I felt about it. Like, it's, I mean, look, I'll zoom right in on the problem. Is I sort of felt like the author basically wrote themselves into the book. Hmm. Uh, 
Like they're like I forget the character's name, but it's like new Captain, you know, Mackenzie Calhoun. Yeah, there you go. I was gonna say Captain Hero Badass. He's, <laughs> I he's, mean, like he's Picard's best friend, and he goes boxing with Cisco, and he slept with Janeway, and he's <laughs> all the like all the awesome rolled into one. Urgh. I was reading this and just like, I, are you serious? Well, he's the author has definitely not written himself into it because that does not describe the author. But no, I no, but you know what, what you I mean. mean. Like yeah. if I was writing a book where about Star Trek, and I think you know, a lot of my daydreams about Star Trek, there might be another character present on the ship, and he <laughs> might be kind of cool. You know, hypothetically yeah, yeah. speaking, it might not be an accurate reflection of the man sitting behind this microphone in his apartment <laughs> recording a podcast. <laughs> Well, uh, there is an element of that for sure, and and I do sort of respect that that's the sort of thing they have to do to help bring in an audience who is familiar with the Star Trek stuff. You want to have little things sprinkled into that, that ties them to the established universe. I haven't gotten to any Cisco or Janeway stuff yet, but uh, Picard kind of mentored him and discovered him, so there's that aspect of it. But beyond that, once they get away from the Enterprise and Mackenzie Calhoun's got his own ship, there's his dynamic with the crew is interesting. There's there's a lot of stuff in the early going that establishes him, but he makes mistakes and he learns from them. And and he's starting to he's he's very much a lone wolf, so he's getting used to relying on a crew and working with the crew. And so so there is that big hero syndrome that some of these books have, where he's got to be the biggest and the toughest and and the the coolest, but. It's tempered a little bit so far, anyway, by him being imperfect and him having uh, dust-ups with his his crew members. And one of the things I I really like about it is it brings in really minor characters from Next Generation and gives them bigger roles to explore them more. Like, the chief medical officer is Dr. Salar from the, the Enterprise D, and she was in one episode, and then just you constantly heard them paging her for the rest of the series. Whenever Doctor Crusher wasn't around, you'd be you'd hear her over the comms like uh, Doctor Solar to the medical bay, you know, over and over again. But I'm going to admit I'm a huge Trek guy, and I'm going to admit I I didn't know that it was a woman. I, I, <laughs> like that's how little attention is paid to Doctor Solar. Right? Yeah, she's a, a Vulcan. She's played by. This is a deep cut Star Trek nerd thing, but she's played by Susie Plaxon, who is almost like Jeffrey Coombs level of playing cool characters on Star Trek. And she she was great in the one episode with her. And so I guess that's why they kept name dropping her. Um, but yeah, this is a cool chance to bring her back and, and flesh her out some more. Uh, the, the biggest uh, callback is uh, the first officer of the ship is Shelby from the Best of Both Worlds episodes, the new face who helps them fight the Borg and who keeps butting heads with Riker. Yeah, weird way to introduce a character where it's like, she's going to hate the guy you love. Oh, that's but, a great way to introduce a character. Yeah, here or there. I mean, like, Shelby was one of those characters who you love to hate. Yeah. Uh, which is fine. And, and it and, fit in really well for that episode. But I, but I can see what you mean. It's cool that they're going to give her a chance to grow outside of that antagonistic relationship. 
Yeah, and she's got, I mean, she has a, a background with the main character, but they they were a, a couple for a few years. and Of course they were. Yeah. <laughs> but in this case, it serves the story. It's not just like, oh, uh, he, he was with Captain Janeway and then ditched her and she's been pining after him, the one that got away. In this case, it creates a, sort of the dynamic of the Orville where they're, they're exes and it leads to added tension on the bridge. I'm I'm not against it, and you know what? I could not tell you what happens in those first four books, so I'm not going to sit here and be and poo-poo them. I I had trouble getting into them, but it's I mean I I trust your Trek judgment, and if you're into it, I wonder if that means it's worth a reread. It's it's something that I, I I've always really liked the writer. I've liked Peter David. He's written a lot of stuff, and I'm not saying this is the greatest stuff out there. But the idea of a continuing story in the Star Trek universe in the era that is, you know, my favorite era. This is the heart of Next Generation Deep Space Nine time. And and it's familiar faces. It's got a lot going for it. And it's exploring this new pocket of the galaxy. It's not like they're running up against the Borg or the Klingon. They're in this own unique space where uh, the author can create all new aliens and all new conflicts for the crew to, to solve. So I, I appreciate that, and, and it, it kind of feels like I'm watching a TV series that has sort of a mix of the serialization of Deep Space Nine and the characters of Next Generation. Yeah, it's a good pitch. It's a yes. good pitch. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on. What's your number four? Sure. My number four, um, sort of, I know it's not on your list, but I know it's it applies to both of us, is... Almost against my initial better judgment, I've been playing some of Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Man, you were giving me such a hard time that, that you weren't going to play it, and it wasn't... I've played it so many times, and I'm so happy that you're you're on board with it now. It's At the end of the day, my, my wife was like, well, I'm playing it, <laughs> and just started playing, and then it got to the point where it's like, well, it's there. It's on the PlayStation. Like, I can just pick up this controller and start playing it again. And you know, and like so, quick review. So, Mass Effect, one of our favorite sci-fi franchises on this show, uh, initial trilogy of games that range from very good to absolutely phenomenal. Uh, very character-based, unique science fiction setting, space opera adventure, very cool. Um, recently re-released in an upgraded all-in-one package in May of 2021. So, the legendary edition. Uh, I have. Where I am right now, I have just finished the first game of the trilogy, um, platinumed it, did everything that there was to do in it, it, uh, and that's the game that needed the most work, that's the one that needed the most polish, and I can tell you that, yeah, it's good. I'm, hmm, I am, it's, it's a strange reaction, I think at the end of the day what it is is that it's incredibly comforting, um, it feels like home. And it's one of those things where it's almost like, yeah, this is how it always was, right? And then you actually go and look at what the game looked like 15 years ago. And it didn't quite... I've, I have glossed over all the little problems in my memory, right? I think I'm going to have to do some of that. Because right now it feels... Yeah, it just feels like it always has been that way. Like you said, I, I'm not quite finished the first game yet. I'm a little slower in my gaming than uh, than my co-host here. But I'm getting there. I'm almost done. Uh, I, I think the things that are standing out for me are the big complaints that people had back in the day were the inventory and the driving of the Mako. And I never remembered having a problem with them. Playing it now, I'm like, even with the fixes they've made, those are a pain. 
Yeah, the inventory is exhausting. Going, definitely towards the end of the game, I would open that menu. It's like, okay, I'm going to give this character a shotgun. And it's like, well, here's all 234 shotguns you've picked up since the last time you were in this menu. Feel free to scroll down through them one by one. And and you get so many of them, and so many of them end up just being utterly useless. You sell a bunch of them when you're at a, a merchant, and you have unlimited money. By about the halfway point of the game, you can have a, a thing where it's like, money doesn't matter. They're like, oh, here's a, the, the best pistol in the game. It's a million dollars. I'm like, a million dollars? What am I, poor? Of course I've got that amount of money. <laughs> to be fair, they do restrict some of the better stuff on, like, playthrough. Sure. Uh, you, you can't get the Masterclass Spectre stuff till after Vermeer. But regardless, yeah, it's, it's a weird mechanic. It wasn't balanced properly. Um, the fact that there is money in this game only matters for the first couple of missions. And then after that, meh. Yeah. Um, also, I can definitely tell the difference in the performances between 1 and, the, and 2 and 3. There are a lot of lines that are... There are a lot of lines that are a little stilted, that are delivered, that it's it's very clear the voice actors had never met each other. Um, there are some lines that are written that they can be assigned to multiple characters, mm. so that no, no matter who you bring with you, they can say, wait, Shepard, why don't we try and do this? And I find that's, that's a lot more evident in this one. Um, but at the end of the day, this is still the genesis for a universe that I love. Yeah, it's great. So many great characters to the point where there's a novel series that follows. It's sort of like a prequel and they follow one of the smaller characters in, in the franchise and you get to know them so much. They're so, so have such a rich personality. It fleshes out the character when you see them in this game. Yeah, and just and seeing I mean, Mass Effect is like a big part of it is choices, choices you make have consequences to the story it as like people live or die uh, you know cities fall or stand like and it cascades through this trilogy seeing who all these characters are when you first meet them you know before you've gotten to know them before you've influenced their decisions before they've grown as characters is heartwarming in a way that's a little embarrassing uh, <laughs> Like, I feel overly emotionally invested in it, but, like, you know, seeing tough thug Rex, when he's still, he's like, okay, I don't care about the Krogan, I don't care about my people, I'm just in this to get paid. And now, knowing where that goes, and seeing just the little seeds that they've sown, you know, where he's he's actually paying a little bit more attention here, and where he's starting to think about what his future might be, and, like, knowing how that's going to grow... And you know, versus who he is at the end of three, when you're like you know, you're, have, you're you're drinking with him in the bar, and he's like, and, it, and he's, he had to sneak away from all the Krogan females. Like it's <laughs> if he makes it to three. If, dun, dun, well, dun. yeah, that's the other thing about Mass Effect. Yeah, Rex, Rex especially, <laughs> uh, he might not make it, and that might change that whole thing. But just those characters are so fleshed out and so well presented, even though they're not quite as well presented in this one. Like I, I was really getting a kick out of just revisiting the beginning again. Yeah, I, I've had a blast with it. It's, it's As much as I have these little complaints, it's still a lot of fun. Um, I could go on nitpicking, but at the end of the day, I'm really enjoying it. I'm enjoying the combat. I enjoy all the dialogue. It's it's wild that 
so much of what happens is, or, or learning about these characters is just conveyed through conversation. And it's, it feels like such a throwback and yet it never feels boring or dry, even though you're just standing there hearing someone tell you their life story. I feel like in other mediums, there'd be flashbacks or, or it would cut to another, uh, like you would play a mini level as that character to learn their backstory here. It's just talking. And in some ways it, helps you get to know the character even better it helps you get more of an attachment to the character i really like it such a nice touch Mm -hmm. Uh, definitely i mean like we said these three games are masterpieces and having them all in one place and upgraded so that they look nice on the new consoles and some of the issues in one especially corrected uh it's it's good it's still absolutely nothing new which is a shame um, it's, you know, I will never get over the disappointment of Mass Effect Andromeda, but uh, I mean, I was, a, I was a legendary edition cynic and, uh, here I am. I just platinumed <laughs> one and got my first insanity trophy. So <laughs> I, I'm back in and if, if somebody who was sanity trophy, I love it. Yep. Uh, it's, yeah, that, that applies in a lot of different ways, doesn't it? <laughs> Mass Effect Legendary Edition. It's available for everything you can play games on except for the Switch, I think. Uh, it's if you've if you've already played it, it's good. If you've never played it before, it's good. It's Mass Effect. It's real good. Go play it. All right, we are uh, we are talking a lot, so I'm going to jump to my number four, which will probably be a shorter talk, but it's the game Fall Guys. Oh, okay, yeah, I've seen you. I've seen you online playing this. I don't get it, but but I mean, here's your chance to pitch it. Uh. I don't know that it's the game for you, but it, it came out in at the end of uh, or like August 2020, and the idea is it's like Wipeout or one of those shows where you watch people jump around on platforms and and you're just watching them get knocked into the water and and you know sort of uh, praying that they haven't had their neck broken in the fall. Except in this case, it's 60 people playing online and you're in you're these little bulbous white guys and you're just chasing after each other in a race to see who can get to the end and it is so simple and so basic and just it's so easy to put on and just play a few rounds and and move on with your day and especially during the pandemic there were a lot of nights where I was like I just want to completely turn my brain off and watch these stupid white blobs bumble around a field and it's it's it ends up being a lot of fun. My brother got it for me for Christmas. There was some sort of sale, I'm sure, and it was it was a blast. I've only played with him a couple of times, but it's a game where there's not a lot of built-in communication with other people. They were trying to keep it as family-friendly as possible, and when you're doing an online multiplayer game, the best way to do that is make sure people can't talk to each other and can't name their characters. So there's yep. not a lot of freedom in that regard. But you can customize what you look like, and you unlock things as you play, and that adds to the addictiveness of it. And uh, it's just, it's just silly, stupid fun. And I want to zoom in on that, like, like there is no single player experience to this, right? It's all online. It's all real people. It's, I, I have always found that to be rather intimidating. Like, I'll play an online game with my friends, you know, with people I know, with people I'm comfortable with, but just opening it up to the the unwashed masses. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't like, like that either, especially in shooting games like Halo. It's, it's when I play 
with a lot of people online, it's just frustrating, and, and there's everyone else is so much better than me, It's it takes all the fun out of it. Uh, well, and, there's that, and then there's also behavioral problems. Yeah. Um, something about the anonymity of the internet combined with a competitive experience is, it's a breeding ground for assholes. I, I can't, <laughs> it just, there are terrible people, like, just competing to be the most terrible they can be in these environments, and I just, I barely have the patience for that in real life, much less in like a digital thing. I just, I, I very often cannot commit myself to that kind of an environment. Now, you already said nobody's talking in this. Nobody's really communicating in any way, but I'm still hesitant. It's a, It definitely is a step in the right direction and helps keep it simple. The other thing that it has going for it is there's time limits. You know, it takes maybe two to three minutes to beat a level. The, the idea is you go through these levels and people get eliminated. And so each round, there's fewer people with you until the final round. It's usually between eight and 12 people left standing after you start in round one with 60. And so it's really hard to keep track of who the jerks are. Not that there are many because it's hard to be a jerk. You've got specific objectives you need to do. And if you want to keep going in the game, you can't really just stand around and be a pain. There are people who do it, but for the most part, they're easily ignored or easily bypassed. So the the biggest struggle I have found in the earlier rounds is getting stuck behind or getting bumped by people who are just more inexperienced or less capable with the controls. And and I think that's one of the things my brother mentioned. It's like, I, I, I win, not often, but I've won a couple of times in this. And he's like, you're playing against eight-year-olds. Like, don't don't be too happy with it. And look, if that, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what it takes, I'll take these victories. And because it's all anonymous, I don't actually know it's eight-year-olds, so I'm, I'm going to take my wins where I can. <laughs> I, I I feel like that sort of takes a bit of the wind out of your sails at the end there, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, and, and they they are doing this thing, which is a big thing in online games now, is with seasons. So every season of the game lasts a few months, and there's objectives to complete within that season, and new uh, game modes get introduced every season, and that helps keep it fresh too. And they also like throwing in. DLC and you can buy Tron costumes or whatever it it's uh they and all of that stuff is purely cosmetic but it's kind of fun to work towards unlocking certain outfits I think that's that's enough fall guys for now but if you all anyone hasn't want to play send me an email and we'll we'll work out a, a time That'll be fun. The Geek Top 5 Fall Guys group. Um, I mean, listen, I'm not being... It's hard to tell with me. I'm not being sarcastic. If we can get some fans of the show to, to game together, uh, we could form a heck of a squad. For sure. That brings me to my number three. Um, also, I think a brief one, because it was a brief single-player experience, but I've definitely spent a couple weeks doing nothing with my time besides playing the new Final Fantasy VII Remake content. Uh, we mentioned this in a couple of our, sort of in our video game-centric couple of weeks, where Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate was released on June 2021. 
uh, where it took the the hit Final Fantasy VII remake from last year and upgraded it. It upgraded it from PS4 to PlayStation 5 quality stuff. You know, get that ray tracing in there. Uh, it also added some new content in the form of a micro campaign starring a character who hadn't yet appeared in the story of the original Final Fantasy VII remake, the star- starring Yuffie, the ninja character, uh, and also added some bonus content to the game. And uh, so two things to take away from this. First is the concept of upgrading a game from you know, previous generation to current generation, which is something that's happening a lot these days, which I find really interesting. Um, in this case, I really liked it because it was essentially free. <laughs> so it's, what they said was, look, it's pretty much, like with some exceptions because of how complicated this is, but pretty much if you bought this game for PS4 when it came out, like we were right on the verge of PlayStation 5 being available, but it wasn't available yet. Arguably, it's still not available now because they're having huge supply and scalping problems, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Uh, what they said is, look, we were close enough that we were able to program the game to perform better on the newer system. So if you've already bought it, you're just going to sign in, you're going like, to upload your save data, we're going to download the new upgraded version of the game, it, attach your saved game to it, you can pick up right where you left off, but it's going to load way faster, It's the graphics are going to be way better, got that ray tracing, like I mentioned, so it's going to look gorgeous. In this case, it also has a stability lock to 60 frames per second, um, so it looks a lot smoother, plays a lot better. So essentially it's the same, I, I thought it was like the next stage in the the Final Fantasy remake could could. The whole thing. I don't even know yeah, the word whatever I'm looking the, for. Yeah, yeah, the Final Fantasy VII Remake Cinematic Universe, right? Yeah. But <laughs> it, it, the micro campaign is. It's like, think of this as like a side story. Um, I'm trying to think of what a good example would be. Uh, and it's it's hard to, because there's plenty of good examples, but they're all other video games. But it's essentially what was happening with these other characters while the A characters from the last game were doing their thing. Sure, sure. It's sort of like uh, one of those side novels, like uh, in the Old Man's War books, there's one that's called Zoe's Tale, which is just retelling the same story from another character's perspective. Or or, or, a, or Bean, the Bean yeah. book from the Ender's Game. Yeah, yeah Ender's Shadow. Ender, yeah, Ender's Shadow, which follows Bean while Ender's Game is happening. It's what's happening to this kid. Uh, yeah, this this is the micro campaign in this was is that idea. Um so, I, again, I, I, the big takeaway for me was making the game look cooler and better, which was great. Um, the new content is sort of mixed. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the stuff they've done in this, they made these, like, they turned this game from a Dern-based RPG into a really action-oriented combat experience. And they came up with a cool new combat system for this character. You play her a lot differently than you play any of the other ones in the main game. It's fun. It's interesting. It is occasionally challenging. Uh, they did a really good job. At the end of the day, it was still kind of a like five-hour experience. You know, it, it it wasn't much, and it added a new super like super difficult like super secret boss to the post game of the main game, which frankly hmm. was more interesting. And I ground that for hours before I finally beat him, and it was still halfway luck. So, so did you play the whole thing over again, or did you just jump to that? The new not content? the whole thing. I definitely jumped to some of my favorite parts of the game and just marveled mm. and just went like, "Oh, that looks cool. That's way better." Also, it's just 
I didn't, I feel like I sound silly saying this, but this is the second game that I've played hard locked at 60 frames per second. I mean, so for, for those of you who aren't super visual nerds, like, like 24 frames per second, I think has been the standard for presenting visual, like TV and video games for a long time. You know, and then they upped it to 30 frames per second to basically round up. Like, essentially, like, to convince your brain that things are actually moving, they show you 30 pictures in quick succession over the course of a second, right? Yeah. Video games, especially on the PC, have been upping that lately. More frames per second, right? So that there's more information in there. It makes it seem smoother. It makes it seem better. And I know I definitely started at the, like, well, I don't know... I mean, your eyes can only perceive things so quickly. Like, I don't know that cranking it way up to hundreds of frames per second is going to make a difference. But this is the second action game I've played with this upgrade. And I swear to you, playing at 60 frames per second is easier. It's made Mm. me a better player. Having, like, something about having the more information, being able to perceive what was happening more constantly or better i'm not a smart enough guy to tell you exactly (laughs) what it was but it just it made the game play better it made me better at it i was better able to understand what was happening i was reacting to things faster it just it did make a difference it's and that's and that's cool it's a cool thing all right it was also more final fantasy 7 and that was fun at, uh, the extra content does require a, uh, a purchase price, and I think it's PS5 only, which is a weird choice, but it's okay, it's neat, and it's cool to see fully upgraded. Recommended with a butt. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I'm going to go to probably my favorite thing that I've been that I've gotten hooked on over the course of the pandemic. And it's, and it's kind of, number two? <laughs> it's number three. Oh, jeez. It's not the... It's I, it's not something I'm especially proud of, but I I really have enjoyed doing it. It's uh, been going to Dollarama, which is a dollar store chain in in Canada, and buying comic books. <laughs> I mean, that's not really a, a list. Like shopping isn't really an item <laughs> on your list. Well, shopping isn't, but the the. I, I am a huge comic book nerd. I've loved comic books forever. And um, a few years ago, I, I had to purge a lot of the comics just because they were taking up too much space. And especially in single-issue format, it was it was a lot. I had something like seven long boxes filled with comics, and I was never rereading them. Once they were in the box, they were more or less locked in there. When they're collected in, in trade paperbacks or these collected uh, editions of, of issues, I'm a bit more likely to read them. And when they're 3 to $4 each, I, I, I can't control myself. Like, some of these books retail, I think on the low end, they retail for $10. And I have stuff from Dollarama for like 3 or $4 that the retail Canadian price on the back is as high as $85. And, and I just, I'm, I'm hooked on it. Keep whenever I see a Dollarama, I have to go in and see if there's anything new. I think I finally reached the point where I'm being a bit more um, critical about what I'm buying because I have stuff that like like I I would just buy anything, anything that was comic book related on the walls. I would pick it up. I have so many now that I'm like, I, do I really need the video games that continue the Arkham Asylum co- uh, video game universe? Mm, probably not. I'm probably not going to enjoy reading those. So I think I'm going to put the brakes on a little bit, 
But for now, I, I have more comics than I know what to do with, and I can't read wait to read any of them. I keep looking at them, and I'm like, oh, I gotta read that one, I gotta read that one, I gotta read that one. Ah, it's been a joy for my quarantined, pandemic-rattled mind. So I'm I'm trying to break this down so that it doesn't like so it sounds less like a cry for help, <laughs> uh, but like it's like, like it's so the key of what's happening here is that it's good deals, yes. Like, or so I mean, but you still are going to have the space problem, well, right? Like the it's right now it's con- t- uh, contained within a few shelves of a bookcase. It, it, before I had seven long boxes, and where do you store seven long boxes? They were taking up a good chunk of a room. Now it's it's two shelves, you know. It's it's contained, and and even then, my plan is to whittle them down as I read them. I I'm not gonna. There's some things on here I'm definitely not gonna read again. They they haven't even stuck in my memory. Never mind in my heart for me to keep them forever. But. For four dollars, it's such a tiny individual investment on each one that I don't feel like I'm wasting a lot of time or money. But I'm 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 just building up my knowledge about comic books to a uh, even greater pitch. I mean, who knew it could get any higher? Yeah, is this a, at the risk of getting a little sort of armchair Freudy? Like, is this like is this an anxiety response like during the pandemic or? Mm. Like, is the idea that, like, you found a cheap and efficient way to introduce, you know, new material into a period of stagnancy? Or is this a nostalgic thing? Is this fulfilling a childhood <laughs> dream of just, like, of having all these? Well, no, I guess it's not, because you're not buying anything specific. It's not like, oh, my God, finally, you know, the comic where Cyborg Superman says piss. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah, I've been real, really hunting for that one. I can't I- wait. <laughs> Yeah, who hasn't? Um, <laughs> I, I'm just trying to break down exactly. I mean, because it doesn't sound like it's I mean, the way you're pitching it. Is it sounds like you're more interested in the acquiring than you are in the reading? Um, yeah, I, I think there is definitely some retail therapy there. Uh, it's, but I am reading them, and and which is more than could be said for some of my purchases in the past. I, I think having being home so much more, and especially not having a commute like like it used to be I'd spend an hour getting to work more than an hour getting home picking up the kid putting him to bed by the time it was all done I wanted to completely turn my brain off I would play a video game watch a movie or something and then go to bed and start all over again now without all of that other stuff that I had to do to fill my day I I'm I'm finding I'm reading a lot more than I did before and I'm really enjoying it, and and like, I, I I've been keeping track of what I've been reading on Goodreads, uh, just another way for Facebook to get its claws into my uh, mm-hmm. private life. But based on what Goodreads has told me, I've already read 14 of these books that I bought. I have a lot more to go, but I'm making a debt. I'm actually reading through these. There there was a part of me that was worried that, especially as the collection of these Dollarama books grew that I just wouldn't end up reading most of them. Now, I'm feeling like I'll get there. It's going to take me a long time to get through them all, but I'm invested, and I some of these books, like a lot of them are just sort of random from across the last three or four decades of comics. It's weird what they have available, but some of them are extended runs, and, and when I get to them, like I've got so many Superman books from the last ten years, I could probably 
fill in that entire decade of his career in my head. And I'm, I'm excited to see how different creators handle characters like that. I'm excited to see the different art and just the, the whole arc of that character. Okay. No, that's, that actually makes more sense. That uh, I'm not going to lie, still a little concerned. <laughs> All right, that's fine. As your friend, just saying, you know. It, uh... I, I won't tell you about the day that I, I took off from work and traveled through downtown, stopping at, I think it was $7 Amazon. I'll make sure <laughs> not to mention that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little concerned, but it's passing the time and it's making you happy. And at the end of the day, that's what's important. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> okay, we're on to number two now. Yeah, my number two, I guess. Yeah. It, uh, all right. Well, my number two is um, okay. Like yours, it's it sounds like it's one thing and it's actually another. Um, so on the surface, my number two is Halo: The Master Chief Collection. Um, now this isn't a new game. This was originally released in 2014, um, and it was a mess. And it has since been like spent a long time cleaning it up. This is kind of like the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, where it's a collection of games. This is a collection of most of the Halo games in one place where they can be played together. And very recently, uh, a few of us picked it up on the latest Steam sale. And it's fine. And it's Halo. Um, but what it really is, what's really number two on my list is this has been a great opportunity to drive some virtual socializing. Um, I think early in the pandemic, we started with like, well, we're all going to get on video calls. And we realized very quickly that video calls are really awkward, especially in larger groups where you yeah. end up with like two people, maybe three having a conversation and everyone else sort of waiting Whenever there's a gap in the conversation, one person would go, I, but then another person would start talking. Oh, okay. And, and like, it never worked. No. Then no, we started to try. Yeah. Then we started trying to find other things to do. Um, and I mean, honestly, I've been doing like, a lot of video games. I think they're a great vehicle for this. But the Halo games, it turns out, have been a, a really clever way just for a group of friends to get together and enjoy an activity together. And that sounds so kindergarten like when you put it that way. Um, but this is a very basic, very easy to pick up, but hard to master if you want to master it. Kind of, and again, I want to say first-person shooter, but that's not even necessarily it. I mean, big thanks for this goes out to a friend of the show, Shaggy Shanahan. Um, who you heard recently on some of our crazier episodes. Um, Halo has a custom game maker, essentially. Like, you can combine elements of the game and make your own levels and your own styles of gameplay. And because of just who he is, Shaggy has identified the wildest, craziest mini-games that take ideas from this game and just pull them on its head. And we've gotten, you know, five people together in the same game, and everyone is just laughing and screaming and yelping and having a great time. And I kind of regret not picking it up earlier. It's been a really cool vehicle for this sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's. I think another thing that helps with it, at least for us, is there's a lot of nostalgia attached to it, especially the group of us who've been playing together. We used to play the Halo games in person. We'd LAN, we'd connect all these Xboxes and TVs together and play with as many as 16 people at a time. And, and we haven't been able to hit those levels again yet, but it 
it's a good group of people for it, and it really helps. We already all know sort of we we know each other very well, and we are having a lot of fun going back in time to that era to this sort of university college days that this game represented for us. See, and when you put it that way, I get worried again because it's like, <laughs> is this just you know yearning for the past, regressing? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, becoming who we were in our early 20s, which I guess, I mean, I know in my case, I haven't changed that much, so <laughs> that's a lot of the inner child still there. You know, he says, surrounded by his model X-Wings and Star Trek ships and replica lightsabers. Inner child with a lot more disposable income. There you go. Yeah, that sums it up. I should put that on my business card. <laughs> But it's just, and it just, it offers so many varied but simple ways to enjoy yourselves. And it's like, I mean, I've been playing these big crazy games with all of you, but also like my wife and I will just play through the campaign. It it, it sort of becomes like a digital date night, Mm. um, which is like, here's something fun that we can do together that that's cooperative. That we're you know we we we're supporting one another through this thing. That's fun, and that I mean that made up a big part of our dating back in the day. Oh, 15 <laughs> years ago? <laughs> a lot of that. regressing happening here. But it just, it's you know, in a time when, I mean, yes, things are opening up, but it's still not perfect yet. And it's been a long, you know, a long, dark, closed lockdown. Um, being able to have all these situations virtually, not like video games are video games. Not all of them do it well. No one, like whatever you say about Halo, no one has accused any of the Halo games of being bad. Uh, well, I feel like uh, the multiplayer in four has not got the greatest reputation, but I hear what you're saying there. Yeah. They're... I mean, Hey, the, yeah, the story in five was like, was ludicrous, but like that, no, like anybody who's into this style of game, like never picked up a controller. and went, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been, so yeah, I, so on my list, it says Halo, the Master Chief collection, but that's not really what it is. Like what's on my list has just been having found this real sweet spot where you know, all these people that I know, that my friends and my family, like all get together and share an experience, like in the good old days when we could ex- share experiences in person. It's been a really cool vehicle for that, and I'm grateful for it in a way that is is more emotions than really need to be invested into what is definitely a product, and not you know something a little more touching. I feel before we move on, I have to again tip my hat to my brother who got me this just on a whim as well. I haven't had a chance to play with him yet, and uh, but but I, I'm very grateful for him hooking me up with this. Came out of nowhere. I was very surprised and surprised at how quickly I got into it. So I guess I will move on to my number two. Uh, this was another Christmas present. It was a book called The Marx Brothers Annotated. And I have always been a big Marx Brothers fan, or at least in the last, I don't know, 15 or 20 years, I've become a a Marx Brothers fan and really enjoyed them, watched them all, went into sort of a period where I wasn't really rewatching them as much. And then I got a bunch of the DVDs a while ago, and then I found out about this book from another podcast, and it is great. It, It breaks down... Every movie, it gives a background on on them, uh, stuff that I already knew, but other stuff, like the amount of research the guy did, the author of this did, is is wild. Like, he went through newspaper clippings from that era and found individual stories, like gossip columns, about what the Marx Brothers were doing. And he's he's tried to parse them and figure out how much is real and how much is fake, drummed up for publicity. 
and just reading his breakdowns of the movies. He goes through and puts time codes in for every part of the movie, every time there's something he wants to say. And uh, I've, en- I've I really enjoyed it. I feel like I learned so much. I got a deeper appreci- appreciation of it. There are some jokes that are about topical things from the 30s and 40s that I, you know, I had no idea. I thought they were essentially gibberish. And this explains what those jokes are. So I'll have a better understanding of them. And I'm just, I, I, it gave me an opportunity to go back through all the movies again and, and appreciate them in a new light. And uh, that's what I, what I did in the last couple of months. Whenever I had a, a free night, I, I don't know that there was ever a moment where I sat down and watched one movie from beginning to end. But if I had a free half hour at the end of the night, I'd watch a half hour of the movie stop it the next morning, maybe read uh, the, that part of the book on that movie, and I just slowly went through them all, and I I really had a great time. I mean, that sounds super intense. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I feel like that is like definitely targeted towards super fans. Yes, um, but he writes it in such a way that... It's like it's like he's he's he is the super fan of all super fans, but there's no there's I didn't feel there was gatekeeping in it. It was kind of like he was like, you should watch these movies and come with me. I'll explain the stuff you need to know to to appreciate them even more. And he would throw in his opinions about the movies, and and uh, I I didn't always agree with him, but it was kind of like having a conversation. He'd be like, oh. I didn't like this part of the movie. I thought these jokes weren't didn't land very well. And I in my head I'm like, well, I those those are some of my favorite parts of the movie and it was kind of I felt there was a, a dialogue even if it was a little one-sided. Yeah, and and I'm trying to like what I'm trying to parse is that like you're a big Marx Brothers guy. Like you you record your own Marx Brothers. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So but from the perspective of somebody who isn't as invested, I mean, it sounds like to me like this is intimidating. This sounds kind of inco- like, like difficult to to, to parse. Um, I'm like as a casual fan, like as a casual listener of your podcast, like, <laughs> w- like if I was like, hmm, I'll give this a shot. Like, w- would I, like would I be able to parse this book and like sort of enjoy what it has to offer? Um, it's a tough call. I I kind of feel like I wouldn't want to read it if it was my first time through with the movies. But if I was, if I had just watched them and I enjoyed them and I was like, I would like to have a greater appreciation of these movies and these comedians, then maybe I'd, I'd bust that book out and, and go through it a bit at a time while I, while I watched. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've read a biography on Groucho. I read Harpo's autobiography. I've I've read a lot of stuff about them over the years, and this is just a great way to to condense it all and and put it in a way that's easy to read and connects directly to each one of the movies. So hmm. I feel like every any time I I pick up one of these movies again, I'm gonna pick up that chapter of the book and read through it just. To, uh, this, to, this is the pop-up video like, yeah. MTV trivia for you. I okay, yeah. <laughs> it's very, very Graham. It's it it is. It's just this is one of the few things where you and I differ. You know, there's a, there's a lot of spark plugs between you and me. But yeah, the Marx I, I like the Marx Brothers, but uh, like just, I don't share your passion for them, and that's fine. Um, I it, I also another way we differ is. Uh, less so these days, but back in the day, I really liked knowing a ton of behind-the-scenes stuff about things that we liked. And you were always, I think, for the most part, more interested in, in just appreciating 
what was on the page or on the screen and not worrying about the behind the scenes as much. Yeah, yeah. You know who played Admiral Necheyev, and I know which ship Admiral Necheyev served on. Right. Yeah, that's the difference. <laughs> All right. Well, oh, she's let's... the worst, by the way. <laughs> well, in that in the New Frontiers book, they she's in it, and oh, so of course, <laughs> so is Jellico, and they make Jellico e- into even a, a bigger jerk than he was in the show. Uh, I know you're a Jellico apologist. <laughs> that must really go. That must really stick it. in your craw. <laughs> I didn't love that choice, but it was fine. I get it. All right. <laughs> What's your number one? All right. My number one has a few layers. Uh, so we're starting with Ghost of Tsushima. This is a PlayStation 4 game. came out in July of 2020. It is an open-world sort of drama adventure that takes place in feudal Japan. It's all samurais and swords. It is one of the best video games of all time. It is phenomenal. Already super happy to have that. But what they did afterwards is, as free updates, they also created a multiplayer mode and then a raid, which I'll get back to in a second, because I know that's not a commonly normal thing. But So it's a big single-player character, story-driven, etc. But they added a multiplayer mode, which is they tell a separate story and they use some multiplayer tropes you're familiar with, where like there are different classes, not everybody can do the same thing. There's, you know, the samurai is the best class for using the sword, but the hunter is the best class for using the bow. And you play with your friends, and usually in these story modes, like groups of two, and you complement each other's abilities to complete objectives and play through the game. Raids? I did a little bit of research before this episode, and I, I'm not sure I can tell you where the origin of the term raid comes from, but it certainly sort of hit video game mainstream with World of Warcraft. The idea of, like in large open world games where there's lots to do, but there's a specific area with specific enemies and a boss at the end, what people who game would usually refer to as a dungeon. Go to the place... You know, fight the enemies, solve the puzzles, beat the guy at the end, get a reward. A raid is that turned up to 11, where it's common that you have unique mechanics, unique challenges, and it's going to rely on a large number of players to solve. Well, the guys behind Ghosts of Tsushima introduced a raid into their game, and I was... I mean, I started figuring, like, I'll never have a chance to do that because, again, it requires coordinating with a lot of people on the internet, and I don't like people on the internet, and I'm not great with people in real life. Let's be fair. That's a, that's a failing on my part. But I played the multiplayer just like with what with a friend, with, with Dave Ansel. He's been on the show a couple of times, and it's really good. And I said, you know what? Let's find some more people. It's not so bad. This one, you need four players. You need four people to coordinate to go through these unique experiences. And we did it and we played it. And it may have been one of my favorite just video game experiences of all time. It's it's way, way up there. I I cannot. is a big statement from you. You are. Yeah, I've had a few video game experiences to choose from, right? This was phenomenal, and I mean, a few, about a month ago now, if you heard mysterious hooting and hollering, that was us upon completing it. 
because like we had a great time there were uh, there were highs and lows there was like you know, emotional drama there was and not from the perspective of the game but just with the ah oh, we were so close i can't <laughs> believe that happened it it present it was a series after series after series of here's a unique challenge maybe like one of the early ones was uh, how do you describe it it's like you're navigating complicated terrain and when you step on a switch the bridge appears so then some people go over the bridge, but the guy who's on the switch can't make it. So once they've crossed the bridge, they have to find another way to get that first guy across. And you do that. Th- then this there's is a, it's like the that old word puzzle where you got like you've got the coyote and the chickens and only two people can be in the boat. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. Then there were there was just combat where it's like all four of you have to survive. But then they throw in all this other stuff where it's like you need to keep fighting people and you need to do it in this ritual space. And pe- you need to get like, defeat your enemies in this ritual space so the magic thing will happen. But you can't stand in the ritual space very like because you get poisoned, essentially. It's the short, short version. So two people, you know, two players go in and start fighting in the ritual space until they have to leave to essentially clean off. And then you swap with the other characters but then you have the thing with like okay but now they're damaged so can somebody do a heal and like it required this really intense level of synchronization being forced to work together and endure these things and figure out what to do you know you'd get like that thing i described with a ritual space it doesn't say now you stand here and this is how it's going to work you figure it out you're fighting people and you're watching things change and you're going, what the hell is going on? How do we open this door? And you slowly piece it all together. So it was like, it was a really, like, it's a really fun combat from Ghost of Tsushima, but also puzzle solving and collaborative thinking. And then just like boosting each other and filling in for each other. Like, I know this guy is weak at this, so I'll handle this part. And like at one point, we, re- we were really trying to avoid the hunter class because it's a samurai game. Nobody wants to use the bow, but somebody had to use the bow, damn it. Because there was this point where like just like the only like, only ranged attacks were going to work. So I had to switch to the hunter. And then, okay, but now I don't have any great swords. You guys have to cover me while I'm using the bow. Like, this, it was this intense group activity uh, and we had a blast with it. That sounds great. I'm going to stop babbling. There's not much to say <laughs> about it. Ghost of Tsushima, it's out now. It is amazing. And they just recently released it's getting a director's cut mode, which is going to include that, like I was just talking about Final Fantasy VII, it's going to include that sort of PS5 upgrade. It's going to use new graphics and the new haptics, and it's going to have new story content in single player. And they're hinting at new multiplayer content. And I mean, as soon as I saw that, I hit up the messenger thread with all four of us, and it was just like everybody's sending gifts from animes of people like you know retrieving their katanas like 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 we are so hyped for this this was such a cool thing so i guess the big question for that as part of it though is do the other players have ps5s they don't have ps5s those guys um the so they won't have the cool new graphics and the cool new haptics but the content is available crossplay oh okay because of course it is because i mean final fantasy 7 is an outlier in that they were like you need a ps5 to play it weird choice because lots of people can't get a ps5 right. it's weird that you divide up your install base i don't know why anyway my like number one thing that i've done recently was the raid from <laughs> ghost of tsushima legends it was 
I, I it was a an incredibly good time and an otherwise bland and dark time in our lives. <laughs> Okay, so my number one is uh, going back to the comic book. Well, like like your list was all video games. I could have pretty easily oh. made, yeah, I could have pretty well made my list entirely comic books. But I I I wanted to diversify a, a little bit. Um, no no, not trying to show throw shade or anything. I think your list no, no. is great. It was fantastic. I uh, admit its flaws. I know who I am. <laughs> Well, earlier in the pandemic, we had a guest on who is a scholar who's researching the Chris Claremont era of the X-Men, and uh, he was great. I really enjoyed talking with him, and around that time on Comixology, the, the comic book app thing, like the, the comic book version of Steam, like as, as Steam is to video games, Comixology is to comic books, and they had a sale on big collections of classic comic book runs. They These things are usually about $15, and they were selling for $1 to $2 each. So I bought as much of the Claremont run as I could on there, and I, I've barely scratched the surface in what I've actually read, but I'm, I started from the beginning, and I'm working my way through. I, in fact, I started before the beginning, just to get a, a, a sense of where the X-Men were at that point. The prologue. Yeah. <laughs> and I... Have really been enjoying it. It's I, I always X Men was what got me into comic books. I loved the X Men animated series. It was so good. And later in life, I realized that that animated series, a lot of what it was, was adaptations of the Chris Claremont run of of the X Men. And so, really, I I, I liked the X Men, but what I really liked was that one guy's interpretation of them with all his various various collaborators from pencilers, inkers, editors letterers they all had a hand in making it great but he was the one guiding force the one piece that was there from beginning to end for 15 years that is a long time for anyone to write on on one group of characters so he's he's had quite an impact on on them and and just i'm sure there's novelists and whatnot that can rival that with their characters but this is 22 pages a month, at least 22 pages a month for 15 years and consistently always hitting the mark, always bringing something new to the table and something interesting. And it's been great. I've read from issue 94 to 121. I had, there were two collections uh, the, the X-Men, I think they, they, their original run wasn't very popular or successful and they stopped publishing new stories around issue 60, I think. And then they were just reprinting old issues with new covers and the X-Men mm. were sort of lost in the wilderness and uh the they would pop up here or there the marvel universe has always been very connected and so they'd pop up for guest appearances in captain america or the avengers or something like that and so these two collections that i got were all of those appearances before chris claremont took over and like relaunched the x-men i'm simplifying save your, your letters i know chris claremont didn't actually relaunch it it was len ween but he took over so soon after i'm gonna say chris claremont launched it anyway it's been great. I, I, I it's <laughs> been such anyway, a thorough deep dive. Yeah, everybody said it was amazing, and it is. <laughs> Another thing that I I picked up uh, that just to show my my cred here as far as how I'm I'm doing this. On another Comixology sale, there were two huge collections of X Men classics, and what those were were they when they realized the X Men were super popular, and specifically what Chris Claremont was doing on them. It was issues where they'd reprint the beginning of his run. They'd reprint from from issue 94 when it started 
and they would add a little backup story, a new story with new art that Claremont did, and they would add a few new pages to the story. So I got a collection of just the new stuff that was in those. So as I was reading his run, I would flip to that book and read the backup stories in there that sort of filled in the details. And man, it's a Claremont overload, really. I'm taking a bit of a break right now, but I am going to get back to it. I, I, I think I needed to space it out a little bit more, but now I'm hankering to get back into it. I haven't Too even gotten chocolate dark- cake gets you a stomach ache, yeah. right? Yeah. I haven't even gotten to Dark Phoenix yet, and that's like the peak X-Men story. Never mind the peak of the Claremont run. So two things quick. Um I noticed you sort of danced around it, but I don't think there's a reason to. Uh, that episode, I mean, was one of my like that was a great episode. Um that was Dr. J. Andrew DeMann you were talking about, who's yeah. the, the scholar behind the Claremont run. Folks, if you haven't listened to that one yet, that is episode 40 of our quarantine edition, 4-0, uh, Geek Top 5 reboot episode 40, The Claremont Run. Uh, that was back in January. That's a really cool interview with a really cool dude. So for sure, check that out. You, I, you might be able to tell I'm a little giddy during the course of the recording of that one. Very much. Graham was speaking to a man who embodied his life's dream for himself. <laughs> Uh, and the second point I just wanted to make is I'm curious, I just have to ask, how much of this overlapped with your Dollarama thing? Like, how much of the Claremont run have you assembled from Dollarama <laughs> visits? Uh, weirdly, I don't, I, 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 there hasn't been as much Marvel stuff at Dollarama. It's been a lot of huh. DC. Like, three of the shelves are DC, and less than one is Marvel. So I haven't actually gotten much Claremont in there. There is some. But I uh, not as much as you'd think. A lot of it has just been comicsology sales, and I'm a sucker for those too. Right, that's fair. Okay, no, that's that's interesting. I was I was curious to see if there was like, a peanut butter and chocolate here. But <laughs> what I, I will say is that uh, his Claremont's most famous collaborator, his most famous penciler that he worked with, was John Byrne, and famously they ended up kind of butting heads at the end and had a bit of an acrimonious split. But Byrne went off and had a stellar career as a penciler and writer on a bunch of other stuff. And some of that I've gotten through Dollarama sales and other physical deals. And and I I didn't appreciate him as much as Claremont in my youth. But now I'm really liking his art and I'm really liking his writing. And I, it, that's been a great pandemic uh, discovery for me. Awesome. Yeah, no, can't knock that. Those are some good books. Yeah. So I, guess, I think that's it. I think we did it. <laughs> that is, yeah, that is 10 really cool different things uh, to keep people busy. And, I mean, fingers crossed, won't have to for too long, but uh, everyone needs a hobby, and there's some good ways to support it there. Uh, so, yeah, it um, that is essentially, I mean, it, like, we like to collaborate on all this stuff for sure, just to keep each other in the loop, but that's also for you folks. Um, I know we, we we try to cast a wide net on this show. In my case, I sort of failed on you guys on that one today. <laughs> Pretty video game-centric, but man, play more video games. They're great. Uh, no, but video games, comic books, book, regular books, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, we're hoping you enjoy it. It's We're doing this for you. The show is for you guys. Uh, we... We, heck, we've done entire episodes based on stuff that you folks have suggested or even have had you come on. Uh, we always welcome your feedback. We love to hear from the community. Uh, Graham, if they have questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, how can they get that stuff to us? 
please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're on Twitter at geektop5. You can also drop by our website, geektop5.com, and there's comments on every episode. You can even rate and review us on the various podcatchers, and we'll see it that way, too. uh, We appreciate every little bit you have to send. Even if it's genuine criticism, we have made some adjustments to the show based on your feedback. It's definitely become the better. So thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. While we're giving out thanks, I also want to give thanks to Oliver Wickham, the masterful mind behind our theme song. Be sure to check him out on Spotify. Uh, he is a music creator, producer. He's got, he's got a lot of really rad stuff out there. It's, it's, it's definitely worth your checking out. And uh, and then, hey, it's, I mean, yeah, it's we're not in quarantine anymore. Uh, we're getting outside. We're seeing people again. But still a big list here of things to help fill your time if you're looking for something new to do. Uh, plenty enough, at least, to keep you busy until we get a chance to do this again. Uh, until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week. sort of carry you into the new life, the new era, the new order. Is there any way to do new order without sounding like a bad guy? Uh, you could try and say it like you're at a restaurant and you're trying to get a different dish. Oh, yeah, like a new order, please? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah. Much better. But the, the new order will not... Yeah. The power to record a podcast is insignificant compared to the power... Yeah, okay. I don't think I'm actually allowed to say force. Like, like the, the mouse will be on her. Anyway, I'm prevaricating. Let's do the list. <laughs>